Welcome back to episode two of Put Me In Coach, your friendly neighborhood soccer podcast brought to you by three self-proclaimed Sunday League superstars. I'm your host, Sean Sprout. Joining me today is, well, no one. Much like Gio Reyna during the USA's first match, Chris Fennell and Matt Fimbers have the day off. Alas, we have much to discuss. Not only is it Thanksgiving here in the U.S., happy Thanksgiving to all those that celebrate, but this week also brought us the return of the World Cup after four years, and for those of us that are in the United States, it's been eight long years since we have had a rooting interest. There's been a total of 16 matches since our last episode, and depending on the time you choose to listen, there may have been at least four more. We will recap the scores of each match, but we'll only choose a handful to really dive into, and of course we will attempt to predict further outcomes based on the match decisions we've seen so far. There are also some news from around the sporting world that we'll discuss as well. So, to avoid the potential for some CONCACAF Dark Arts time-wasting, let's get right to it. The opening match of the tournament on Sunday, November 20th, saw the host Qatar take on Ecuador. Despite host nations typically performing well at many past World Cups, Qatar entered the match as the clear underdog. The Qatari team is incredibly unique. Majority of the players are not signed for any individual club teams. They solely play for the Qatar national team. This means that for practically the past four years, these players have trained together nearly every single day leading up to this match. Well, from minute one, that fact did not yield the positive result that Qataris hoped for. This was the Ecuador show. Qatar elected to give up possession and play in what's known as a low block, essentially meaning that they sat their back line of defenders close to their own goal, kept their wide players in, and played compact. The goal of the style is to bend but not break, to absorb the opponent's attacks in the hopes that the match ends in a 0-0 draw. The style seemed to play right into Ecuador's hands. After an Ecuador goal was ruled off for offsides in the fourth minute, Ecuador was later awarded a penalty in the 16th. Enter Valencia stepped up and slotted it home. Fifteen minutes later, Valencia did it again, this time a powerful header to the bottom left corner. Qatar never seemed to drum up much of a threat, and Ecuador went on to win by the score of 2-0. The following day gave us our first match day with multiple games, England versus Iran, Senegal versus Netherlands, and the USA versus Wales. England took it to Iran in a dominant display, winning comfortably by a score of 6-2 and cemented themselves atop Group B. Senegal lost out to the Netherlands 2-0. While this match was back and forth, Senegal could not come up with quality chances on goal, and it was clear how much the loss and injury to Sadio Mane affected them up top. With that said, the game we will focus majority of our energy on from this day is, of course, the United States and Wales. The U.S. came out with a strong lineup. Turner in goal, Dest, Zimmerman, Ream, and Robinson on the defensive back line, McKenney, Adams, and Musa in the midfield, Pulisic and Weah on the wings, and Josh Sargent up top as the number nine. Due to injuries during qualifying, this was the first match under Greg Berhalter where the desired three in the midfield have started together. U.S. came out strong and aggressive. They held nearly 60% possession, and you could see the ingenuity that this team is capable of. Over the past two years, the U.S. have struggled to claim a foothold in the first half of games. This was the complete opposite. As Pulisic slotted a pass behind the center backs of Wales, and Tim Weah put the ball in the net in the 36th minute. The U.S. dominance continued for the remainder of the half, but unfortunately, they were not able to capitalize on a second goal. This would inevitably be their downfall. This game really was a tale of two halves. Wales opened up in the second and pushed higher up the pitch, electing to be more direct than they were previously, and in what felt like an inevitability, Wales gets their chance. Zimmerman brings down Gareth Bale in the box in the 82nd minute, and Bale does what Bale does, score in big moments for his country. 
the penalty kick is converted, and the score is level again at 1-1. to And that's how it would end. Burhalter elected to leave arguably the most talented attacker, Gio Reyna, on the bench, despite Gio telling the media that he is 100% fit and was ready to go. The U.S. squandering opportunities is not something we're unaccustomed to seeing. It's sort of a badge of honor for USMNT fans that we've reluctantly worn for the better part of four decades. That being said, this result is not the end of the world. In the past eight World Cups the U.S. has qualified for, the five times we've earned a point in the first game, we've advanced out of the group. The three times we've lost the opener, we've exited the tournament early. Let's not forget that this U.S. team is young. In fact, they're the second youngest team in the tournament, second only to Ghana. So, what does this all mean? On Friday, November 26th, we go again. Bring on England for a potential make-or-break match. I suspect we'll see a similar lineup against England. Berhalter is not one to change or deviate from his pregame tactics. So the USA is going to need to get this one right, come right out of the gate, putting pressure on England's defensive backs, and do not allow them to get comfortable. We know what we will see from the England side. England is heavy on possession, and will look to get their young, quick wingers up in the attack as much as possible. They will also look to feed their star striker, Harry Kane, in the middle of the pitch, so expect our center backs to keep tight on him, meaning our fullbacks, like Destin Robinson, will have to win their 1v1 battles on the outsides. The U.S. can definitely get three points from this match and set themselves up to advance out of the group, and they may very well need to if Wales beats Iran the same day. Tuesday, November 22nd, brought us four more matches. Denmark and Tunisia played to a 0-0 draw, as did Mexico and Poland. Quick note on this game, it bears mentioning that goalkeeper Memo Ochoa always has a tendency to show up big for World Cup matches. He did it once again for Mexico, saving a PK from Poland's Robert Lewandowski early in the second half. 2018 World Cup winners France hosted Australia, a.k.a. the Socceroos, and France won handedly 4-1, despite giving up the early goal and despite missing their star striker Karim Benzema. The big match of this day that does deserve additional focus looks to be Argentina losing to Saudi Arabia 2-1 in what many are calling the biggest upset in World Cup history. If you subscribe to the importance of FIFA rankings, Argentina is ranked third in the world, Saudi Arabia is ranked 51st. The Saudis executed their game plan at a masterful level. Essentially, their style of play was in complete opposition to how Qatar played two days ago. Saudi Arabia played a very high back line, pushing their defenders up the pitch. Even after Messi converted a PK in the 10th minute for Argentina, Saudi Arabia continued to employ this tactic. This condensed the field of play down to about 30 yards, and they implemented an aggressive midfield pivot. Argentina was not able to dominate possession in the midfield, as they tend to do, and forced them to play the ball long. When they did, though, that back line caught Argentina attackers in an offside position more than I could count. You could see the frustration grow on Messi, as well as his compatriots' faces, as Saudi Arabia scored two goals right at the start of the second half to catch the world by surprise. Argentina is now in a position where they may need maximum points from their final two games to advance in what may well be Messi's last World Cup. Wednesday, November 23rd, brought us more action from Qatar. Morocco versus the 2018 World Cup runner-up, Croatia. That ended in a 0-0 draw. Spain absolutely dominated their match against Costa Rica, winning easily by a score of 7-0. And Belgium took home a 1-0 win versus Canada. However, the surprise of this day was yet another upset. Germany, one of the tournament favorites, dropped all three points to Japan. 
Germany had the vast majority of the possession, especially in the first half. Japan seemed to sit back and try to hit quickly on the counter on the right side of the pitch, opposite of Germany's Serge Gnabry. It seemed the plan was to just keep the game close in the first 45 minutes and hope to steal a goal on the counter. Germany entered halftime up 1-0, but once play resumed, Japan completely changed the game plan and went back to that high-press style of play that we've seen over recent months. Germany was never able to fully adapt to this change, and this led to Japan scoring two late goals and walking away with a win in their first match. On Thanksgiving, we had four additional games. Switzerland hosted Cameroon and won 1-0 in a very close contested match. Uruguay and South Korea played to a lackluster 0-0 draw that yielded zero shots on goal, which was the first time this has happened to this century. Portugal won their first match against a strong Ghana side 3-2. This game was mostly uneventful for the first hour, but in the 65th minute, Portugal was granted a questionable at best penalty, and Cristiano Ronaldo stepped up and scored. This seemed to open the floodgates, as both sides would go on to score two more times before the final whistle, and Portugal would take all three points in a thrilling 3-2 win. The final game of the day saw the last two remaining teams play their first games. Vegas odds favorite and number one FIFA-ranked Brazil took on a Serbia side that many expect to be one of the dark horses of the World Cup. Serbia actually started the match strong, and it was evident that they would not just sit back and concede the match to Brazil. It's fair to say that Serbia had the better of the chances up until about the 29th minute. From that point on, though, it was like waking a sleeping giant. Brazil showed their class, and Serbia had to attempt to endure wave after wave after wave of attacks from Neymar, Richarlison, and Vinicius Jr. The score somehow remained 0-0 at the half, but Richarlison would eventually get two past Serbia's keeper Milinkovic Savic, and that would be the final score. Brazil would close out the first week of the tournament with a 2-0 win. So, what have we learned after the first week? Spain, France, England, and Brazil seem to be the early front runners, as many predicted. Teams like Iran, Australia, and Costa Rica left much to be desired and have quite some room for improvement. And Japan, Saudi Arabia, and Wales have come to crash the party. If you've listened to last week's episode, you'll know that our brackets are pretty much essentially already busted, which is tradition at this point. Of course, we'll get a better sense of the groups once each team plays their second match, and you can bet we'll be here to break it all down. In other news outside of the World Cup, Manchester United made two major announcements on November 22nd. The first is that the Glazer family intends to sell the club and will begin fielding offers from outside sources. Rumors have already begun to swirl, and the prevailing theory is that Apple will attempt to buy United, which would make them the richest club on the planet. The second bit of news is that they have mutually agreed to part ways with star striker Cristiano Ronaldo. The latter move has been in the works for a couple weeks, ever since Ronaldo left the pitch early before the final whistle of Manchester United's 2-0 win over Tottenham Hotspur and since his tell-all interview he conducted with Pierce Morgan. In that interview, Ronaldo seemingly threw Manchester United owners, coaches past and present, and teammates on the proverbial bus. The news that United cut ties is not an unexpected move, but it does tarnish the legacy of one of the world's greatest to ever play the game. Where he goes now is still up for debate, and of course we'll have many opinions on this matter going forward, and we'll discuss any potential sale of the club that comes to light. Over in MLS, teams are actively navigating free agency. We've seen moves like longtime Columbus Crew defender Pedro Santos and journeyman goalkeeper Tyler Miller signed for DC United. Felipe Martins leaves Austin for more purple pastures down with Orlando City. Tim Parker traded during the expansion draft from Houston Dynamo to new expansion side St. Louis City SC, 
as well as former Vancouver Whitecaps right back Jake Norwinski signing with St. Louis as well. And most recently, Atlanta United have appointed longtime Seattle Sounders front office executive Garth Lagerway as their new CEO and president. Lagerway is responsible for assembling the Sounders teams that have been exceptionally successful over their MLS tenure. Make no mistake, this is a big get for Atlanta United, in an attempt to bring them back to the promised land where they hoisted the 2018 MLS Cup just two years after joining the league. The other teams remaining are still hard at work during the offseason, but we more than likely won't see a lot of player movement until after the World Cup. With the inclusion of STL City and the new Apple TV deal on the horizon, we will certainly be diving headfirst into all things MLS as next season approaches. Well, that wraps up a chaotic and busy week of soccer from the epicenter that is Qatar and from elsewhere around the world. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we hope the guys can make it back and we can continue our normal format. Until that time comes, bye for now.